Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 12.08 a.m. Sunday night slash Monday morning and I am very excited for you to listen to this message. Uh, It's one of my favorite messages we've had in a while. Yes, I requested it from Hannah. Uh, but you know, I have great taste and you're gonna have to wait a second because my wife just got home. You might have heard the, uh, text message go ding. Uh, I'm going to go get her. I'll be right back. All right. I'm back. So as I was saying, this message is one of my favorites in a while. And it just so happens to be one that I told Hannah to do, but I can't take too much credit because we just ripped it off of a Rob cast episode. Although I will say she added a really nice sort of like button to the end of it and like wrapped it all up in a way that made it more like a, a sermon and less like a podcast. So I love it. We're talking about um, why is Christmas, when it is, how it is on the 25th. Um, yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but I think you're really going to love it. Um, if you are someone who ever attends in per- person, please come this Sunday, the 24th Christmas Eve morning. We're going to have service at our normal time, uh, 1030. Wear ugly Christmas sweaters. It's going to be an awesome time. We will see you there. Here's Hannah. Today we are going to talk about why we have the Feast of Christmas and why it is on the 25th of December. The answer is not Jesus. I'm terribly sorry. Shout out to Jarrett who put this on the schedule for us. Also shout out to uh, the Robcast, which is a podcast hosted by Rob Bell. Uh, There was an episode on this subject like in the before times, like 2017, when I was just a child. Just kidding. Um, much of what we're going to discuss today comes from that. I love Rob Bell. If you don't know who Rob, does anyone know who Rob Bell is? Okay, a few of you. Let me give you, you tell me how my description of Rob Bell is about to go. He's an ex-evangelical, like, pastor, theologian, intellectual type guy who started to get famous when I was in youth group as a teenager before he got kicked out of evangelicalism for being too cool. Uh, read Too Progressive. He did a series for youths, the youths, called NUMA, which was shot in delightfully early 2000s sepia tones with cool camera angles, so no matter where he was looking, it was never into the camera. Um, He was very cool. I was like 14, and I was like, this is the coolest person who has ever talked about God that I have ever seen. He had like, before the youth pastor look was a thing, with like the horrible, you know, He had like the rectangle glasses and I was like, that is cool because I had terrible glasses. If you were attending youth group at an ambiguously charismatic Assemblies of God church in like 2004 where your youth pastor organized fun activities such as praise and worship and dodgeball and maple maple syrup chugging contests until you barf, (laughs) then you know who Rob Bell is. He is arguably less cool now because he's getting old. I am arguably more cool because I am very happy you, none of you knew me in youth group. <laughs> Same. Okay, back to Christmas. Why does Christmas exist? Now, we have, of course, the human story of Jesus that we find in the Gospels. We have Mary pregnant. She goes home with Joseph They for the census. They get there. There's nowhere to sleep. They, she gives birth. They end up sleeping with the animals. They put Jesus in a manger. Wise men appear. Jesus, yay. We'll talk about that next week, et cetera, et cetera. We have the baby Jesus story, 
But why do we celebrate it on December 25th specifically? So there's two ends of the spectrum when it comes to people complaining about Christmas. On the one side, there's people that are like, well, you know Jesus wasn't born in December, right? He was born sometime in June, parentheses, no one knows, but we think, maybe. Um, and on the other side, you have people who are yelling about Xmas is terrible and you have to put the Christ back in Christmas or else, and they get offended like by red Starbucks cups. Uh, that was a, also a before times controversy. I can resolve the Xmas conflict in two sentences, okay? I want you to put this in your back pocket for arguing with your in-laws later this week. Christians invented Xmas because X is the symbol for Christ. It is the Christos in Greek. So when you say Xmas, it literally means Christmas. Just save that for later. But Jesus not being born in December problem will take us more than two sentences to discuss. Um, it's kind of fascinating. We need to keep at our, the forefront of our minds while we're thinking through this. One question, what is the universal cosmic story that the Feast of Christmas is telling us. Because the story behind the Feast of Christmas is a myth. And by myth, I do not mean a story that is not true. I mean, it's a story that is so true, it can only be told in metaphor. It's universally true. It's true on a soul level. It's so true, it will make you groan in recognition. There is a false dichotomy between Christmas and the winter solstice. I hear people arguing that Christians just like took over the winter solstice and we just obliterated all of the solstice traditions and it was entirely cultural appropriation from like thousands of years ago. We're still upset about this. And Christianity was a thief and we shouldn't even be celebrating Christmas. And actually when I was growing up, there was someone in my church who would not let their family have a Christmas tree because it was pagan. They eventually changed their mind and then they had a Christmas tree and they said the Holy Spirit revealed to them that it was okay. <laughs> and I was a kid, so I was like, huh, still confusing. I think this is a false dichotomy. It diminishes both Christmas and the winter solstice, okay? So Christmas is a major feast, as a thing that we celebrate that happens. Does not even start happening until the fourth and fifth centuries after Jesus was born. So like four or 500 years later, there's no Christmas before then. The birth of Jesus is acknowledged as something special, but the core feast that powers Christianity until that point and still to this day is Easter. It's like the Jesus Super Bowl. It has always been Easter. It will always be Easter. There was no need for a feast of Christmas before the fourth and fifth centuries. Why? Because Christians were in the South in temperate climates like we live in. Christians were in the Mediterranean and they followed the Jewish moon calendar. Then four or 500 years later, Christians they start moving north into Europe and they go across the Alps, which if you know about the Alps, they are mountains. And what do we know about mountains? They're freezing. There's no mountains here, but I assume you've seen TV. <laughs> they ran, they crossed the Alps, they run into a people group called the Celts. Typically we think of Celts being associated with Ireland, but really it stretches all the way from Ireland to Turkey. Everywhere above the Alps is this Celtic world, okay? And in the winter above the Alps, it is cold. It is so cold. The snow, ice, sleet, dormant trees, nothing grows. It is nothing like the warm weather of the Mediterranean where stuff grows all year round, even when it's mildly chilly outside. I'm wearing snow boots. 
I would not have survived. What is the most important heavenly body when you are in a cold climate? Is it the moon? It's the sun, okay? So the Celtic people were absolutely dependent on the sun to make things grow, to melt the snow and ice, etc. And their most important feast of the year was the winter solstice because this is when the sun gets reborn. Now, if you aren't familiar with the winter solstice, it's the point where the days start to get longer again. So up to this point, the daylight gets shorter and shorter and shorter. You get less and less and less. You have the solstice, and then it gets longer and longer and longer and longer and longer until you get to the summer solstice, which starts getting shorter again. It is apparent down in Florida that it's happening, but like if you are from up north or you go up north, it's way more apparent. Like we have daylight still. Up north, they're like, hello, darkness, my old friend. Why are you here? It's 4 p.m. <laughs> Now, we are fancy scientific people, okay, who know that this is going to happen every year like clockwork, the shortening and lengthening of days. It's going to happen. We expect this. Celtic people thousands of years ago did not know this. They believed that they had to engage in spiritual practice to help the sun get reborn. And if they didn't, the sun was never coming back. Talk about anxiety. <laughs> okay. So they have a feast. The sun is dying. They have a feast to help it get reborn again. Christians are moving north out of the Mediterranean. We're trying to like engage them. We're trying to talk to them and they're having none of it. We're not speaking the same language. We tend to think of the liturgical calendar in modern church as like extraneous these days. We're, it's like adding something to our spiritual practice. We're like, oh, Lent, I might check into that this year. In those days, the liturgical calendar is based around what is going on in the earth and the water and the sky. It's absolutely essential. It's the language of the day, not just in the north, but in the Mediterranean too. All of the major feasts on the calendar, the Christian calendar, come from something that is happening in the earth. The only one that is even remotely historical, meaning based around its specific date, is Easter. Everything else is predicated on the earth and the sky and the water and the physical impact of those things on us. Now, in our modern evangelical mindset, this seems very scandalous to us. We're like, that sounds like pantheism. What do you mean all of our Christian festivals are based on the earth? Okay, let me tell you why it's not that. There are two great incarnations. Incarnation is a fancy word that means what embodies the divine. We are all familiar with the second one, Jesus. The literal embodiment of God. Modern Christians tend to get stuck there and forget about the first great incarnation, which is the beginning of time, when God puts God's self into the cosmos. God spoke and things became, right? In John, it says the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was was with God, and God speaks, and the word becomes something, which means our very fabric of the universe is imbued with God's presence. The heavens declare the glory of God. So the very essence of creation reflects and gives evidence of God. And because we have two incarnations, not just one in Jesus, we have two, and they are the incarnation of the same thing, which is God, they must complement each other. They have to affirm each other. They have to speak the same language because they're the same thing. So the Celts are just not understanding what the Christians are trying to tell them. We're trying to tell them about the moon. And they're like, 
talking about the sun. So the Christians are like, hey, what do you celebrate? And the Celts tell us about the winter solstice and how meaningful it is to them. And then we have this point of connection because Christians finally understand where they're coming from. And the Christians say, oh, we know that story. But for us, it's bigger than the birth of the sun. The sun being reborn each year brings new life and new freshness to the earth so that things can grow and be healed. And for us, that story is not just about the rebirth of the sun. It's about the rebirth of the power that is behind the sun's power, the power that is beyond the power that brings new life and freshness, not just to the earth, but to everything in the universe. In modern Christianity, we have separated Christmas from the dark night sky and the dead earth and the dying trees. We're just like, Christmas, yes! <laughs> we turn into like little insane Christmas monkeys, which I love, I'm for it. We don't think about the sun dying, okay? We're like, yes, Christmas trees and presents and Jesus baby and cool. The, the point of this is the sun is dying. That's depressing. There is a phase of faith separate from deconstruction where we realize things were sometimes changed because of political agendas and like adjusted a little bit throughout history and like the Bible was used to like further certain agendas, right? And then we start to think, is everything rigged? And this is the phase of faith I like to call conspiracy. <laughs> And the statement I hear a lot is like, these dumb Christian holidays are just mimicking pagan holidays. And the answer is yes, <laughs> that is true. But not because they're being stolen or overtaken, but because there was truth in those festivals already. It wasn't fighting against truth. It was Christ followers saying, we know that story. And we have an addition that may add depth for you too. I have a couple of examples of this, but let's talk about for a second why it's on the 25th of December. So today, Christmas Day, the 25th, is separate from the solstice, which is either on the 21st or the 22nd. Why? Because 1,500 years ago, when we were developing the Feast of Christmas, we were under the Julian calendar, developed by Julius Caesar, and that calendar had 362 days in it, which is fine back then. But if you fast forward 1,600 years, that means the month of December is now in the springtime because we've been losing three days out of every year for centuries. So Pope Gregory is like, something's wrong here. We have to fix this. So he created the Gregorian calendar, which we still follow. It has 365 days plus one quarter of a day that's just out there in the universe that we collect every four years. And we're like, ta-da. <laughs> now we're back on track. <laughs> My mother-in-law was actually born on Leap Day, which I think is impossibly cool. So... Now there's an issue because we've changed the calendar and now there's three extra days in the year. So every Christian festival has a three-day slippage. We're like, oh no, it's three days later than it was before. And what we were celebrating on, what we were celebrating was predicated on what was going on with the sun and the earth. And winter solstice is now three days before Christmas. So what should we do? There's like thousands of pages written about this. I don't know if you know this, but it's not just Christians, regular Christians who like to argue. Theologians also so thousands of pages were written on the virtues and vices of moving Christmas back to the solstice day where it had always been or leaving it on the 25th, three days later. And the clue, if you're paying attention, as to why the decision was made to leave Christmas on the 25th is because it occurred three days after the solstice. What in Jesus' life waited three days? 
the resurrection. Now you see. We also have the added effect that solstice literally means sun stand still. And on the day of the solstice and for two days afterwards, the naked human eye cannot perceive that there is more light. It is only on the third day that we can begin to notice that there is a little more light in the world, that it's a couple minutes longer. Christmas morning then becomes the first moment that humans can see that the light is growing again. Creation itself is announcing this. You guys are not impressed enough. (sighs) I know I'm Pentecostal, okay, but I have Holy Spirit goosebumps, okay? Get with the program. (laughs) Nature tells the story that the gospels amplify. You cannot divorce God's very self in the cosmos from God's very self in Jesus Christ. (sighs) Okay, some examples of added depth. On the day before the solstice, 1224, the Celts, decorated a sacred tree. They traditionally decorated this every year. They didn't have like a little tree in each house, like weirdos, like we are. They did not cut down a tree and bring it to the center of their village. They built a village around a tree, a sacred tree. And on the day before the solstice, they would decorate it with dried fruit, like apples and pears and oranges, winter fruits. In their lore, the sacred tree gave them fire because the oak tree gets hit by lightning all the time. And so apparently many billions or however long years ago, lightning hit the tree and they were like, wow, and they got fire. And so therefore they celebrated the sacred tree every year. And the Christians see this and go, oh, we know this story. In the birth of Jesus, we're readmitted to the garden of Eden. And this here is the tree of life that you are celebrating. We know this story. That's the tree at the heart of the garden that has food for everyone to eat, even in the winter. And on the 26th, which is the day after the solstice, the Celts would kill a wren and pour its blood on the ground, very metal, to symbolize rebirth. The men specifically had to do this because the wren somehow represented like phallic energy and they had to like kill it so that the earth could be reborn. The women did not have to participate on account of they knew about birth already. And the Christians saw this, they saw them doing this and symbolizing self-sacrifice so that the community could live and the earth could be reborn. And they said, we know this story. And they made it into the feast of Stephen, who was the first martyr who gave it all for love. Um, Later, that turned into a day where you gathered up your food and your resources and clothing and you boxed it up to share with people in need. Hence why we have Boxing Day. Not that we celebrate that in America. The Canadians do, but they're much nicer than us. (laughs) That was like a painful laugh. (laughs) Y'all were like, ah, it hurts. (laughs) It's true, but it hurts. Right? So are you following along? This has such significance. Because in the deepest, darkest part of the year, when you are so far from the fall harvest, where everybody has food and everything is taken care of, and you are so far from the spring where things are going to grow again, what is being celebrated? Generosity. The lesson is that community is how you move through the darkness. We are to resist all the parts of ourselves that want to pull in and be self-protective. The true direction is to share and share and share and to sacrifice your own energy and resources so that the community as a whole, including you, can live. For those of you who insist that Christians just took over 
the solstice, you should know that the influence went both ways. We did not just kick in the door and demand that they do things our way. The Celts and their traditions influenced us too, and this is my favorite one. So the Celts, the tree is their greatest vehicle of understanding God, okay? It's a sacred connector of all. When we run into them, and by we I mean Christians, the Celtic understanding of the sacred tree changes the shape of the cross. So before this, before we run into them, it's an equidistant cross, so like a plus sign. That is what the cross looked like. After we run into the Celts, it now looks like a T. The beam moves up to represent the sacred tree. That connects everyone. Also, another example is our 12 days of Christmas comes directly from the Celtic 13 days of them celebrating their goddess. And the Christians were like, hmm. And the Celts were like, we still want to do that. And we were like, okay. Uh, we're a little squeamish about the goddess. So we'll just call it the 12 days of Christmas. But if you're counting, it's 13. <laughs> Christmas and then 12 days. <laughs> that still equals 13. We changed literally nothing about how they celebrated. We were just like, well, okay, we'll take that. We'll just call it the 12 days of Christmas. Thank you. How do we give a good gift to the world? How do we share good news? Because that's the commission of Jesus, right? Go and share the good news. And that's the attitude of Christianity at its best. Now we have gone in and like crushed and beaten and taken over and that we forever have to atone for and apologize for that. But that was not always the attitude and to say that it was is just inaccurate. When it comes to Christmas, we did not go in and say, this is the true way of doing this and you better get with the program or else. Instead, we went to a people who were different than us and we said, tell me how you understand your world because Jesus is already here. Y'all can come back up. When we are in our best selves and we go to a people who don't know the story of Jesus, we go in and listen to their stories first. And then we say, oh yes, you do know <laughs> because you know the story that's going on in the earth. You know the story that is going on in the sky. And guess who's in the earth and the sky? It's God. Now let us offer you an addition. You don't have to take it, but if you want it, it may make it even more meaningful to you. The idea that we take God places is ridiculous. God is already there. We just get the joy of pointing it out. When it comes to the story of Christmas, it's so intertwined with the winter solstice because that is a story that is universally true. It's so true it will make us groan. We have all been in the deepest dark. Watching the sun, the light in our life, the hope that we depend on get smaller and smaller and darker and deeper. We have been in the cold days where we're so far from autumn when life was flourishing and so far from the spring where life is coming that we can hardly imagine it getting any better or being any different. We have all been in that lonely, terrifying place, every human. But as Christ followers, Christmas comes in with a different message. An addition to that universal story that we all know in our bones. Christmas does not say we have to engage in spiritual practice to make hope come again. 
Christmas actually doesn't even want us to land on mustering up a little hope. It's a great place to start. But Christmas is about more than hope. Christmas wants us to know, not just hope, to know that it is precisely in the darkness that the light is born. When we go to the deepest darkness, that is where the fresh beam of light will come to appear. The deepest dark is not the place where grace goes to die, but where grace goes to be reborn.